Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning again. If you brought a copy of God's Word with you, you can open that or click on that to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we'll be here in just a second. As you're turning there, I have got to say a huge thank you to everyone that has helped pull this together. Uh, God impressed it on our church's staff's hearts uh, to make a way for us to all be together in a strategic location in our community. And here's what I love about this church family. Here's what I love about this church family. Nobody said, when I talked about it with our staff, none of them said, you're nuts. Nobody did, all right? Then we shared it with our volunteer coordinators, which are kind of our highest level of volunteers at East, expecting them to laugh out loud. And none of them did. They just like helped us work on details. And then we, then we informed our, our, our team, volunteer team leaders, and they started making plans for their teams. And then we shared it with the church, and nobody threw tomatoes, which I don't know where they would have found tomatoes at church anyway. And then we invited our church to help us invite people here, and 50 church members showed up to invite every home off of Plantation Park to this service. We invited over 200 homes and had great conversations that day. Some of you may be from that neighborhood. And they did that willingly. Then several of our teams showed up yesterday to help get set up, get all this equipment running, prepare for the kids that would come, get snacks and drinks ready for you, rehearse the music, walk through for our greeters and kids workers, and we had no complaining. No one asking, what are we thinking? Listen, here's what I know. There are a lot of churches in North Alabama. Uh, Y'all know that, right? (laughs) A lot of churches in North Alabama. But churches that are willing to do their Easter service at a school simply to be more effective in reaching their community are not on every corner. Lindsay Lane East, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving the Lord and His mission so much that you are willing to follow us in our harebrained schemes as we pursue God's will for this community. This truly has been one big team effort and I am overwhelmed to get to stand here now after all the work that's been done and get to tell you about the real reason we did all of this. Jesus the Christ, the risen Savior this Easter. Without further ado, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Um, Then I'm going to pray. And then I just want to share some things with you uh, today before we um, sing a couple more songs towards the end. The Word of the Lord says this, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them were still alive at the time of this writing. But some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, He appeared as to one born at the wrong time. He also appeared to me words of Paul in the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, um, God, that we get to, to do what we're doing. God, that we get to be here and uh, we get to celebrate the risen Savior, God, together uh, in one service here. 
and God, have room for our community to come and join us. And so, Father, we thank you for this uh, privilege uh, to be able to, I thank you, God, for this privilege to be able to, to proclaim the gospel today, the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you give me clarity of mind, and God, that you give us all ears to hear your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. This is my 35th Easter. Do the math on that. That means I'm how old? Oh, good. That's good. Good, good, good. Uh, I don't remember the earliest ones, but here's what I know. There are 35 or 34 behind me and one that I'm in the midst of. And when we've celebrated something or been to something 35 times, what can begin to happen? It can become routine. I know what's coming. I'm a pastor. I know what I'm supposed to post on social media on Sunday the week before. I know what I'm supposed to post on Friday and then Saturday, and then I'm supposed to say he is risen on social media on Sunday. I know all these things. Facebook's even made that easier. Now you just get to share your memory from last year. It's nice. We don't have to think about it. But what what did Paul say in the verses we just read? He said, "I, I have already passed on to you as most important what I also received. The most important message I have ever received, that is what I have passed on to you. And hey, I'm about to remind you again, what was Paul's main message? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Then he was buried and then raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, that's it. That's the most important message. Paul knew what all of us know is that this is the reason we are here today. And I don't mean the reason we celebrate Easter, the reason you got up this morning. I mean this is the reason our church exists. It's the reason why we get to share Jesus. It's the reason why many of us have been saved from our sin and we get to experience life in the way that God intended it from the beginning. We get to do all these things because Jesus is no longer in the grave. That's the beauty, but it's also the weight of Easter. We owe all we have to Jesus' resurrection. It's why Paul says later, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, literally just a few verses down, if Christ has not been raised, then our message, our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. (laughs) He goes on to say in verse 17 through 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ, meaning those who have passed on, who are believers in Christ, they're per- they've perished. They're in the tomb. They're, they're not in a better place, Paul says, if, they, if Christ has not risen. Verse 19, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. You see, this is, this is the importance of this truth for us today. And oftentimes, a plain message like the gospel can be confused as a simple message. I don't believe the gospel is simple. I believe it's plain. The gospel is one of the most complex things. And I mean complex, not in hard to understand, but it's complex in that you can study it for a lifetime and continue to grow. 
And so, we've been doing something kind of fun this month at Lindsay Lane East. On Sundays, we've been looking at who Jesus is and and looking at it in kind of a different light and going a little bit deeper and, and some, some weird things. And so I just want to do that again. And I know, like, you weren't here the last three weeks at our church, some of you. But what I also want you to know is that this is the kind of weird stuff we do at our church. <laughs> I don't want to come up here and just preach another pastor's message and you go, man, that was a good message. And then you come to our church and you go, that's kind of weird. So I'm just going to do what we normally do at East just so that you can, you can just be familiar with it, all right? So, if you're not familiar with how the Bible is laid out, there are two major sections of the Bible. There's this first section, which is about the first two-thirds or three-quarters or something. I'll kind of hold you in my Bible here. It's this section over here, a little bit more, but it's the Old Testament. And this is a collection of ancient writings about the God of creation and his desire to partner with mankind to rule and reign over the creation that he, in, he created. They tell the story, and it's good, it's bad, and it's ugly, but they tell the story of this partnership all the way up to 400 B.C. And then the rest of the book is the New Testament. It picks up the story about 400 years later with the birth of Jesus. It's a collection of letters written by Jesus' earliest followers in the first century A.D. in an effort to let people know who Jesus was who didn't get a chance to see him for themselves. Now, oftentimes we read these two major, if you've been in church, you're a Christian, whatever, oftentimes we read these two major sections of the Bible very, very differently, or some people only read one or the other. But one of the foundations of our teaching at Lindsay Lane East is that the Bible as a whole tells one unified story from beginning to end. And that those two collections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are interwoven so beautifully together that you can't and shouldn't view them separately. This month at East, we've been looking at how Jesus comes onto the scene and serves as a fulfillment of all the writings and the practices of the humans in the Old Testament. All the ways God was trying to relate to his people are made more personal and perfect in Jesus' life and ministry and his death and sacrifice. And it's also true of his burial and his resurrection. So this Easter, I want to do something that's probably not being done anywhere else at any other church. And it's probably a reason why I shouldn't do it, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to look at an ancient practice from the Old Testament that I believe is going to help all of us understand the resurrection in a new light, help you see the depth of the story of Jesus. There's a celebration in the Old Testament that's called the Day of Atonement. One time per year. One time per year, God's people would seek God's forgiveness for their sins as a whole. So during this period of time, they, uh, they had what they called a high priest. This was one who had been set apart because of his family lineage to be the high priest. This was, this was the one man in the whole people who could actually enter the presence of God and make sacrifices for the people. And on the Day of Atonement each year, the high priest would take three animals as part of this ceremony. He would take a ram and he would take two goats. The early in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, tells us, he tells the high priest, God tells the high priest what he is to do for each step of the process. And I'm not going to read all that to you because it's gory and it's kind of gross. 
if you know about the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were designed to, to show the people the depths of their sin, the awfulness of their sin. You can look it up over lunch. It's a great idea. But the high priest would first sacrifice the ram for his own sins. Because even the high priest couldn't perfectly love God. He had sin in his life too. And before he could ask forgiveness for the people, he had to be forgiven himself. Let's look at that in light of Jesus for a moment. And his sacrifice on the cross for us. Before Jesus could make a sacrifice for our sins, did he need to make a sacrifice for himself like the high priest? The answer is a resounding no. So what's so good about this? Jesus, who is our high priest, he was not sinful. He was in fact perfect without sin and therefore there was no need for the ram. And all the rams grieved with God. There aren't any here today. We invited some. They didn't come. Then Leviticus tells the high priest to bring one of the goats and to sacrifice one of the goats as a sin offering for the people. And when you read the book of Leviticus, again, this is the part that we're going to skip over, but the, the focus of, the, of Leviticus 16 is all on the blood of the animal. The focus is all on the blood. God tells the high priest that the blood is to be sprinkled strategically in symbolic locations of the temple. The blood was to, shed, was, to, was to serve as a covering for God's people. And we see Jesus not offering a sacrificial goat, but offering himself as the goat. Greatest of all time? Sorry, that was cheesy. But that's what we see, Jesus not offering another sacrifice, but giving himself what no high priest was willing to do before him, willing to offer his own life for the sins of the people. The New Testament letter points back to this practice in this way, Hebrews 9, 6 and 7. With these things prepared like this, the priests would enter the first room. So all the priests got to come into the first room, and they would come in there, performing their ministry, but the high priest alone could enter the second room. He did it one time per year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Do you see this? The high priest could not enter the presence of God without blood. This is why the followers of Jesus who wrote the letters of the New Testament talk about Jesus' blood so much. It wasn't just that he died on the cross, it was that he shed his blood to the ancient people. Blood represented life. So to pour out one's blood was to give their life. Jesus shed his blood, gave his life for us, and it's all throughout the New Testament. I'm going to just share some of those with you. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near, not by sacrifices, not by church attendance, but by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1 says we have been reconciled to God and one another through Jesus' blood. First Peter tells us that you were redeemed from your empty way of life through the precious blood of Christ. First John says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1 says that his blood has set us free from our sin. Revelation 5 says that Jesus' blood purchased for us as a people 
to God our Father. And listen, because I trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, I have experienced every one of those things through the blood of Jesus. Every one of those things is true, not just of some rant, it's like some, some third person that we're, we're hearing about in the Bible. Those, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven statements are true of me. Me. Because I have accepted Jesus' sacrifice, his blood, I experience these things, and I want, to sh- I want you to know how to do it too. The Bible is clear, just as God's people did in the Old Testament, that we, every one of us, sin. If you didn't know that before you came in, now you do. The Bible says that we are all sinners. That's a it's a two-sided coin. There's an innate sinfulness in us. You got kids? You ever been around a kid? There you go. There's an innate sinfulness. My child, my children did not have to be taught to be mean and disrespect their mom and dad. It came naturally. But the other side of that coin is that we also sin ourselves. Not only is there a sinfulness within you, there's a sinfulness that happens with you, with who you are. And because God is holy and perfect, sin cannot be in his presence. And because we are sinners, A plus B equals C, we deserve to be forever and eternally separated from the God who is perfect. This was the reason for the Old Testament sacrifices. The blood of the animals was a temporary uh, uh, solution to allow them access to God's presence and his blessings. This blood was, as I've already said, to be a stark visual for the heaviness of their sin, but it didn't seem to work because they kept on sinning. And therefore, there was always need for another sacrifice. The high priest had to continue making these sacrifices, church. However, Jesus comes as the perfect sacrifice to do once and for all what the repetitiveness of the animal sacrifices were just drawing out and delaying. He's the one who could truly forgive us of our sins through his blood forever and now and forever. So how does this work? If we are naturally separated from God by our sin, how can we change that? How can we accept this sacrifice of Jesus for ourselves? The Bible uses two terms for accepting this. The first the Bible says is to repent. It's a fancy word, isn't it? It means to turn away from something. Every human being is living according to some standard. Did you know this? I know you think some of you are individuals, individualistic people in here, and you say, hey, nobody tells me what to do. My mama don't tell me what to do. Government don't tell me what to do. Ah, tell No, you don't. Quit lying. You in church or in the school. <laughs> there is something that is driving every one of us. Someone is making the decisions, whether it's, CNBC, MSNBC, Fox, WHNT, WAFF, I don't know what you're watching. Whether it's your social media account that drives your behavior, whether it's your family, whether it's your desire to be a good dad, whether it's your desire to be a good husband, whether it's your desire to be a bad dad or a bad husband, I don't want to judge you right now, okay? But there's something around you that's driving who you are, that's calling the shots for you. 
But to accept the blood of Jesus, we must acknowledge that our way of life is not working. Whoever you're listening to is not leading you in the right direction. We need to repent from that way and follow Jesus instead. That's what the word repent means. The other term is this, to believe. We have to believe that all of this actually happened. That Jesus really was born here on earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and then was raised back to life on the third day. We have to trust that this is the only answer for our brokenness before God. Today, if you would admit that you are not a follower of Jesus, you've never before the Lord committed to repent and believe, this is what you need to know. You can today. Just as many of us have done one day in the past, you can do today. You can repent of your sin and believe on Jesus and experience all that the blood purchased for you. A little bit later in the service, in just a few minutes, we're going to be singing another song to give you a chance to talk with somebody about that. And it's going to be awesome. But there's another goat we've got to talk about, right? I told you a ram and two goats. We hadn't got to the second, the second goat. On the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16 tells the high priest to bring in the second goat. This was to be a live sacrifice, actually called the scapegoat is where we get the term. The book of Leviticus says this about the scapegoat. Aaron, who was the first high priest, will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over the goat all all of Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed to the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land, and the man will release it there. So after they make a mess with the first goat, Aaron would bring this goat up in front of all the people, and he would place his hands on the goat's head. It was, it was to symbolize a transfer of guilt. And with his hands on the goat's head, he would then call out all the sins that he knew the people had committed that year possibly starting with many of the Ten Commandments. Maybe he began with a lack of respect for God, worshiping false gods and idols, taking the Lord's name in vain, lying, stealing, murder, adultery, no respect for your parents, lack of contentment in life. Then he gets down to some other ones, lack of compassion for others, gossip, drunkenness, Lustful eyes, greed, anger, constantly complaining, divisions and backbiting, slander, not forgiving other people, and hatred. We don't know how long the list was, but I put that together in two minutes. Just looking at scripture from the Bible. And as I called that list out, just as some of them pricked a hair up on your neck, It pricked the necks of the people that were hearing it back then. Because they knew, oh, that one's mine. Right? It may have been one, it may have been all of them for you. But this is what the high priest would do. And then they would lead that goat out of the city, way out into the wilderness. 
and they would release it there. This was to symbolize that the forgiveness of God includes a built-in removal of guilt. Interesting factoid. The man that would lead the goat away would oftentimes look for a cliff and kick the goat off. Because if you can imagine, as the goat goes away with the sins of the people and then the next day he shows back up in the city, that was not the symbol they were looking for. Because that's not how God's uh, forgiveness works. It shows back up the next day. So they would try to, they would oftentimes shove the goat off a cliff. Now listen, did you hear what I said? Not about the cliff. That's not how God's forgiveness works. Listen, listen to me. That is not how God's forgiveness works. Some of you in the room are already followers of Jesus. You may have been for a Christian for years or decades. But you today are living a less than fruitful life because you can't let go of some terrible past sins that you committed. Every Christian I know believes that Jesus is the sacrificial goat. They get that. The one who died on the cross for their sins. But I want to remind you today that Christ is not only a fulfillment of this sacrificial goat from thousands of years before, but he is also the scapegoat for us. Just as the guilt of the people was transferred onto the head of the scapegoat, so our guilt was transferred to Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He bore our sins in his body in the cross. Think about that. Here's what I know, and y'all don't know. So, even people who call into Lane Home, y'all don't know the depths of my heart. And if we just met today, you certainly don't know the depths of my heart. And when I think about that, what I realize is that the heaviness of my sin alone would have been terrible. Amen. All of the sins that I've committed would have been heavy on Jesus, but Jesus bore the sins of every human being. That's intense. All those sins that we called out earlier that would have been called out by the high priest, plus countless more. So we know that our sins were transferred to him, but he also carried them away into the wilderness. The Bible is clear that our sins were in Jesus' body at his death, and then they buried his body in a tomb. But the next Sunday, the tomb was found empty. Jesus had raised from the dead. He was alive. And those who encountered him do not tell us that he was a man who seemed heavy with guilt. He does not seem heavy with the sins of humanity. He is, again, free from all the sin, the guilt, and the shame. What does that mean? It means that though our sins were transferred into the body of Christ, he carried them into the depths of the tomb, and he didn't bring them out. They stayed there. 
Church, hear me out. Just as the scapegoat laden with the guilt of the people was led away into the wilderness as a symbol of their freedom from that sin, so Jesus, laden with our guilt, was led away into a tomb, carrying our sins into the depths of the earth, never to be seen again. So if this is true, and it is, let me ask you a question. Why do we live these defeated lives, constantly bringing up past sins that God has already forgiven? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, and you feel, if you've asked for forgiveness for your sins, you've repented of your sins, you believed in Jesus, and you feel a heaviness of guilt about a past sin, listen to me. God's not putting that there. God's not bringing that up. You grabbed it and brought it back. God's not shoving it in front of you to to shame you into following him more closely. You did it. We allow these past sins to hinder our walk when Jesus already died for them, took them into the grave, and left them there. Do you sense the freedom that Christ wants you to live with? What would it look like for you to, 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 to allow your past sins to remain in the grave where they belong? I would like to see it in you. I would love to see Lindsay Lane East be a place in this community that is made up of people who are living, not bound up by their past mistakes, but moving forward in freedom. Because Jesus is their Christ, their living Savior, their sacrifice. That would be something to see. So I want to give you a chance to do something with this message today. Not... Your kids right now are probably already sitting down to start shoving their face full of candy. Just a fair warning. They've had a good time. We've been here. You've listened to me very attentively. But I want to give you a chance to do something with this message. I don't know how God may have moved in your heart. But we believe at East every time that God's word is open. The Spirit of God wants to teach you something about Him and teach you something about yourself. We believe it's our responsibility, because of that, to take next steps based on what we learn. So today, what next steps do you need to take? We're going to sing another song right now. Worship team is coming out now. But you stay focused on your next step. Don't look at these beautiful people behind me, okay? We're going to sing another song. If you're a believer, but you need to be reminded that Jesus was the scapegoat, that he was the one who took the guilt of all your sins into the grave and left them there, you may want to come. I'm going I'm to be at the very back. I'm not going to stand up here. I'm going to be back there by next step. If you just need somebody to pray for you, just to say, hey, man, that's me. I keep bringing all this junk back up. Just pray for me that I would leave it in the tomb. I'm going to be back there, and I'd love to pray with you. We're going to have other, other folks back there that can help us with that. So please, come back there and talk to us. But you may not yet be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you just showed up so you could take some cool pictures and come witness this thing that God called us to put together. 
your next step today could be to simply acknowledge Jesus as your sacrifice. The one who lived the life that you couldn't because you're a sinner and then died the death that you deserved, but he did it all so that you could be made right with God. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to begin to make my way back there. If you beat me back there, just wait. But if you need prayer, if you need to repent of your sins and believe on Jesus to save you today, whatever you need, we're going to be back there, come back, have other folks. If I'm tied up with somebody else, just talk to one of the folks that are back there. But take advantage of this moment. 35 Easter's I've walked with Jesus. Part of that anyway. I've been around for 35 Easter's, walked with him for bunch and I think back about how many times the Easter bunny and the eggs and the lunch and the fancy clothes that I bought at the store distracted me from what God wanted to teach me that day don't let that statistic be true of you today take advantage of this moment, take a next step you can pray right where you are, you can come talk to us at next steps, but again I'm going to pray as I start heading that way and uh, then they're going to lead you in a song, so let's go on and stand and I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you. God, for the way that you uh, have brought us together for Easter this year. And God, there's a, man, God, it's overwhelming to me to think about, God, that not only did you send Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, and he took my sin, he took my guilt, and, but God, he didn't give it back to me. <laughs> God, he took it in the tomb with him. And God, even as a pastor, I struggle God, you know my heart. You know the things that are in my past. God, you know the things that are in yesterday sometimes. But God, I know that by the blood of Jesus, I have been forgiven and set free. And I pray, God, that everybody in this place today, God, would experience that freedom today. God, give them the courage in their Easter frock to come and talk to somebody about accepting Jesus as their Savior and seeking the freedom that Jesus as the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat for us. Move during this time, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.